If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 26 of the Leading Learning Podcast. And if you're listening, then you and others on your staff may be interested in learning technology design, or LTD for short. This is a learning experience designed specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. And the goal of the two-day event is to help attendees find new and better ways to engage learners and create lasting impact through the effective use of technology. So if you want to be sure that your organization isn't getting left behind, and if you want to connect with a peer community that can support you as you move forward, this is the event for you. And you can find out more at ltd.leadinglearning.com. We also want to thank Calm Partners, makers of the Elevate Learning platform, for being a sponsor of leading learning webinars and as part of that sponsorship package they also are sponsoring this podcast you can find out more about the upcoming webinars at tagoras.com webinars and you can find out more about com partners including new features that they've released to make it easy to license educational content to organizational customers you can find out more about that at compartners.com Now, for this episode, Jeff, you had the chance to talk with Harold Stolovich. I did, and in fact, it is the second time that I've had the opportunity to talk with Harold. I did an interview with him a few years back when I was writing Leading the Learning Revolution, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But Harold, for those who are not familiar with him, uh, is the author or co-author, along with Erica Keeps, of a book that's really become kind of a, a classic in, in the world of training and development, and that's Telling Ain't Training. And I think uh, you can l- listen to that title and, and automatically kind of know and feel what Harold uh, was writing about, Harold and Erica, way back uh, in, in the early 2000s. It's really you know trendy right now to talk about how you know lectures aren't the way to teach, the whole stand and deliver approach in the classroom just is not effective for learning. Harold and Erica were writing about that, you know, well over a decade ago. And, you know, the thing I love about Telling Ain't Training is it, it tells you why that's the case, which is important. Um, and we've talked about why that's the case in, in a number of uh, episodes here and in other parts of our work. But they also show you how to do something about it. It's a, it's a very practical book. It gets into the theory, but it also gets into the practice. Here's how you can actually make your education, your training, your development significantly better. And, you know, if you're in the business of, of lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development, as, you know, presumably the vast majority of our listeners are, that's what it's all about is, you know, in, improving that product, improving that service that you're delivering so that it's more valuable, so that you're able to continue to improve and, and grow your business. So, you know, we get into Harold's uh, perspective on you know how things have changed, how much they've changed uh, over the years since that book was written, and just, we just roll from there into getting his perspective on education and, and learning in, in general. Well, I think that all sounds great, especially that really practical focus on how to do what you're doing with learning better and in a more effective way. So let's go and listen to what Harold has to say. Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Harold Stolovich, who is perhaps best known for being the co-author, along with Erica Keeps, of 
Telling Ain't Training. And in case you are not familiar, uh, for some reason, with Telling Ain't Training, it's a best-selling book. It's an award-winning book. And I'd go so far as to say it is a classic in the world of education and training, something that's just been referred to over and over again by countless educators. And having said all that, I feel like maybe I need a drum roll here. But uh, Harold, wel- welcome to the show. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me. Well, like I said, it's it's great to have you here. We've talked before. Um, you've given me an interview back in the past. In fact, we'll link to that in the show notes. So great to have you back again. And um, as I've been thinking about talking with you today, you know, a, a whole lot has happened in, in the last several years uh, with people getting much more interested in how learning happens, how the brain works, and, and that sort of thing. And in, in a way, I, it seems like you were almost kind of prescient in coming out with uh, Telling Ain't Training back when you did. So, you know, I was wondering, you know, at, at the time that you and Erica wrote it, which is, I, I guess, close to a decade and a half ago at this point, what made it clear to you back then that, that the book was necessary? Um, you know, it's really weird. Uh, the initiator of the book actually was the acquisitions editor from, uh, at that time, ASTD. Today it's called ATD, mm-hmm. the American Society for Training and Development, originally. Um, we were running a session uh, called Telling Aim Training that the focus being how to make very accessible what research has found really influences learning as opposed to the mythology of many things, you know, and all the excitements of whatever new technology or new idea comes along. And um, in talking to us, he said, we really, really need a very accessible book, but it's that it really focuses on whatever, you know, the latest in the research field. And so we wrote Telling Aim Training as a very friendly, interactive, uh, easy-to-read book. But, you know, if you take a close look at it, there are little numbers along the way and well over 300 references. We don't say anything that isn't, you know, based either on research or, uh, you know, best practice or anything of that nature. And so it became necessary to share in a friendly way, you know, more what science tells us about learning Mm -hmm. and best practice as opposed to, you know, enthusiasm. Right, right. And, and, I, and I'm wondering, um, and this kind of goes to the, the impact of it overall, as I you know, mentioned just a minute ago, it, it does seem like, uh, you know, even just in the past few years, so much more interest in how the brain works, uh, how learning works. We're seeing more books come out that, that talk about learning. You know, and I know you've been doing workshops around this for years. I mean, as you said, it actually kind of came out of a workshop uh, originally. So, you know, you're constantly interacting with people who are on the front lines. Um, have the have the issues and the, and the questions changed much over the years? I mean, are, have you seen a change in, in actual practice in, in what people are, are doing? Boy, that's a that's a tricky one. And uh, let me just proceed it with two things. Number one, remember, I'm I came out of I'm out of the university world. Mm. I was a an emeritus professor of workplace learning and performance, and um, you know we've done an awful lot of research in this area. But it also, my lab has been the workplace and so getting out there and seeing what's going on doing audits of what's going on and training really thousands of people who are placed in training positions i wish i could say you know fantastic improvements but the fact of the matter is it's a little bit like nutrition Mm. just loads that we know about nutrition and just recently i read an article you know that says BMI isn't the way to go, you know, so we're no no longer supposed to be looking at that. It's constantly changing. Right. Um, 
but we still get heavier and heavier, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great analogy. Yeah. So, you know, do I see changes? Yeah, um, there are pockets of change. You know, organizations that are more serious than others, uh, that have better practices, that uh, are more realistic in the way in which they organize and deliver their, their instruction. But the problem is that those who are in control of the funds, those who make big decisions, often are people that haven't got a clue mm. about what it is, uh, you know, to help people to learn and perform in the workplace. Uh, they may come, you know, senior managers that come out of advertising and, and, uh, and, uh, finance and engineering and operations and sales and so on. Right. And, um, and therefore, you know, intuitively and ideologically, they make up their minds on things. And so you get stuff going and then in a few years, somebody moves on or they get merged or acquired or something. And we're back to square one. So it's very hit or miss. I'd love to say, oh, yeah, significant improvement over the years. I feel skeptical about that. <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess at a, at a minimum, and uh, this kind of goes to your diet uh, analogy, more people are aware of it than ever. Whether whether behavior is actually changing, I guess awareness has to precede behavior to a certain extent. So. <laughs> Got it. Or it's sporadic, you know. Right. It's a little bit like we get on a kick and we work out and we become a little bit more fit and more cardio, all this kind of stuff. But things do fall apart. Right, right. Two, two steps forward, one step back, yeah. Well, let me ask you, and this is, uh, I guess, kind of the, the money question in a way for uh, the, the folks who would be listening to this podcast. And yep. most of the people listening are going to be in, in charge of, in one way or another, uh, continuing education, professional development programs, maybe at a trade or professional association. Uh, maybe they're just in the, the training and education business, but they're in that market uh, for lifelong learning. And they're usually not themselves the subject matter expert or the presenter, um, they're going to be working with those people. So, you know, I wonder any advice you have for someone who has to work with a subject matter expert, has to work with a presenter or a trainer to try to help them be as effective as possible. What, what are some of the key approaches that you would advise that person to take? Okay. Well, I'm going to like uh, go in a couple of different directions. Okay. And, and if I get I sound confusing, you bring me back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first is, um, it, it, it's like giving advice in a way. Mm. Start with the end of the story. They lived happily ever after. Now let's figure out how they got there. Right. Very often when subject matter experts are asked to do things, the, the sort of like the implied, if it isn't stated explicitly, at least it's implied, you know, share your knowledge with others. Right. And that ends up most of the time with telling. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind getting people to be able to take out of the experience stuff that they can actually use requires that we do not focus on transmission, but on transformation. Mm. And that's key. Subject matters transmit. Subject matter experts transmit. You know, they, hey, you know, you asked me to do this uh, because I know something, so I guess I should share what I know with others. And everything I know, usually. <laughs> and, and here are some, you know, sad facts. Number one, you know, these subject matter experts, just the fact that we're using experts, you know, the word expert, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to assume that they're able to perform in a, in a fluent manner. 
you know, if you're, let's say you're, a, you, you know, you're a dress designer, <laughs> okay, your clothing designer, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, given a challenge of some kind, you're able to come up with a design that really, you know, fits many different criteria from price and fabric to trends and uh, the occasion and all that kind of stuff. Most of that stuff, you've, over the years, through trial and error, through many experiences, you've gathered a database within you that allows you to perform. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are, are we, let, let me, let me, I, I need some feedback along the way. So are, do you agree with this? I, yeah, I, I get it. And, and we forget that we went through all of that to get that knowledge. And we went through all of that. Now I'm turning to you and saying, hey, you've got 90 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it is, even if it's a two-day workshop, mm-hmm. to transform these people. First of all, um, what, we, what we're able to do and do well it's because we have learned it to the point of automaticity. Yeah, it's just kind of spells, spell it the way you sound, okay? Uh-huh. Automaticity. In other words, you do it without any thought. This is a mechanism, a, a, a mechanism that's built into us in the brain that allows us to gather that fluency and not think about it, which makes us able to perform at high levels. It's like driving. Mm-hmm. If you remember when you first started driving, can you can you remember that time? Oh, I can. I was trying to learn on a stick, so that was particularly okay, challenging. Right, and, and you thought about the stick, and you thought about your foot on the clutch, and you actually tried to steer the car. Mm-hmm. I challenge you today to try and steer your car. Yeah, it just comes just comes automatically now. Yeah. I challenge you to take charge of your hands and actually mm-hmm. try to turn the wheel in such a way that you're driving well. And you're going to find two things occurring. Number one, you're going to, um, uh, the car is going to start jerking. Mm-hmm. And number two, very quickly, your hands are going to get really annoyed at you and say, would you, you know, bug off, basically, and let me do my job. In other words, your hands are working automatically to adjust to the road control. Right. You agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So what I'm saying to you um, is that that as we gain in, in, in fluency and in being able to perform well, we forget all the intermediate steps. Right. And that's one of the big problems. Experts don't really remember or know. If, if you go home and you get off the highway and I say to you, how many streets do you pass before get to your home, you know, how many actual turns do you make? You're going to have a lot of trouble, and you probably will be wrong to do it automatically. Yeah. So this is the problem. So now we have a person who performs well, who is trying to get other people to perform reasonably well, and they talk about it. Our memory systems... You know, in our brain, we have a number of different memory systems. One of them is a talk about one. We call it declarative knowledge. One of them is what we call procedural or do knowledge. And I'll give you an example. Again, if I may use you. Sure. Can you ride a bike? I can. Can you keep your balance on the bike? For the most part, yes. Okay. All I want to know is tell me what you do 
to maintain your balance on the bike. Uh-huh. I have no idea. It just have no idea. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk to expert cyclists, they even less. Yeah. Okay? So what we're saying is that it's a very difficult type of thing, and the only way is to start with the end of the story. If you want your people to be able to sell something, or you want people to be able to counsel people, or you want your supervisors to uh, uh, communicate in a particular way, you've got to end up with what's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. What will happen Mm -hmm. when the world is right? Then take a look and see what's happening now, and characterize that gap, and then say, how do we build the capability between where they are now and where we want them to specifying the the uh, success criteria mm-hmm. and actually putting down some measures right getting experts to say share is the wrong way to go people usually just sit there silently when you when you say that in, yeah. my, uh, in my experience yeah. you know every once in a while I have to go through training myself mm-hmm. this Saturday both Erica and I went to a full day session that ran from 8 in the morning till 5 at night there were 11 sessions in it and you know by session half <laughs> 0.5 we were already gone the data dump the info dump was enormous and you know and they yeah. had slides and they had little video clips and they and they had to take the time to be able to switch from one to the other and sometimes you know the projector didn't work properly and then they had to reboot and i mean it was awful and and they, and they didn't you know, know what a tough audience they had there on that. <laughs> I, I and finally you know what i did was one woman who was presenting us with a i thought a really excellent concept i swear to you she did this she had um laminated cards and stood up front and you know we were about 50 people and it was kind of narrow so you know uh, went so far back in the room she stood there reading off these laminated cards of all the different sites in the world and you know there were probably about 113 sites and she would say well in morocco we have you know alibaba and um and their organization does this, and if you met, you know, um, Joseph, uh, you'd really have a treat and so on. Now let's take a look at the one in Tunisia. And it went on and on and on, I swear to you. Mm. At the end, if you looked around, people were asleep, they were doing their emails, they were, they were lying there in a stupor. So I met with her afterwards, and I said, I really like your concept. And I think it's something I use, but you didn't help to use it. May I share with you what I do in real life, you know? And she was very, very happy about it. I said to her, what if you started by saying, wouldn't you like to have a personal assistant in so many different parts of the world that will do exactly what it is that you need and they'll do it for you at no cost to you. And in fact, can even help you make process or save you. Would this be of interest to you? Concept benefits and what it is that you have to be able to do and how the, the organization can help you do this, it would have been much mm-hmm. better. 
And so, so I, this is an example. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and we. We all, I think, encounter that sort of thing all the time, you know, going to a training, going to a conference session, that sort of thing. But, I mean, at least from what I'm gathering from you, um, it, it feels like there just needs to potentially be just more in- intentionality on the part of people who are working with these subject matter experts, with these presenters. As you're saying, you know, you, you went up at the end of this and sort of worked with this person to say, hey, maybe you could think about it this way. I think if people who are, you know, leading programs that are responsible of putting subject matter experts in front of people, if they could do that up front and and engage with those subject matter experts and say, look, you know, maybe we frame it like this, start from the end, start from where the learners are right now. Let's talk about what it takes to kind of fill in uh, the middle there so they get from where they are now to the end. And just just really being that conscious, that intentional uh, about it. And And I suspect a lot of subject matter experts would actually appreciate being engaged in that way to to help you know develop and refine their their content. Is that am I kind of pulling the right lesson from from what you're saying? I, I think you are. Yes. And you know, if I can just switch for a moment into that book, Telling and Training. Mm-hmm. You know, a part of the book is a real simple message. It's a kind of a temp and five step model. You know, and that comes out of you know very well-documented research that has stood the test of time. Mm. And it's so simple that sometimes people are looking, you know, and going very skeptically, oh, well, hey, I know that, or that's, you know, boy, that's simple. But it is simple. Mm-hmm. If you say, if you share with the people, hey, have you ever had this type of, or what if this could happen? In other words, providing them with a real reason to focus and pay attention to you, then the probabilities of their attending and therefore learning from you will increase. Mm -hmm. And if you segue into that very, very smoothly into, okay, so by the end of the session, concretely, this is what you're going to be able to do. Something you couldn't do before, but you're going to be able to do this and actually demonstrate it, and then move from there into a series of active activities that people practice Mm -hmm. and receive feedback. Practice with feedback, very deliberate practice with feedback. Right. And then when they seem to have acquired it, to say, okay, now you're on your own. You go ahead and do it. Let's see what you can do. And you evaluate their capability to meet that objective, what you said they'd be able to do, and provide them with either corrective or confirming feedback. Right. That works. That works so well. It is so simple. Even a subject matter expert can do it. Yeah, and I, but I, I imagine many subject matter experts, you know, haven't even been exposed to, to that simple model, um, or you know, it's not emphasized enough, or uh, I guess re-highlighted enough as they're embarking on putting together some sort of new piece of training, piece of education. That um, they're not necessarily tuning back into the fact that they that they need to be doing that. But I'd love to. Um, that's kind of the the subject matter expert side of the the equation and and, and working with those people obviously they're only part of the equation there's the the learner uh, herself sitting there as well and i'd love to at least you know briefly get your perspective on what what's the learner's responsibility in approaching a a learning experience and you know how can the average learner better prepare herself or maybe you know, well, let's get back to that uh, kind of education director sort of person who's trying to work with the subject matter experts. What could that person be doing to help encourage or motivate learners to, to take more responsibility for their own learning? Okay. Well, 
Well, um, we've got to divide up our learners a lot. <laughs> all right. Um, learners over time have learned to be very skeptical about training. Mm. A lot of it is either irrelevant or they perceive it at least as irrelevant mm -hmm. to what it is they do or they think they already know everything there is to know about it. Right. Um, and, and or after a while sitting in on the session they're finding that it either is disorganized or it's frustrating or they're looking at a slide and the person up front is saying I know you can't read this but you know yeah, right um, and so there's no reason for them to engage even if it's something important for them they in other words they have been trained if you'd like with a whole lot of mechanisms that turn off right it's got to be vital to them okay now what are their responsibilities and here are a few and once again, I will ask you to help me out on this. When we go into organizations and we take a look, some of the organizations run many uh, training sessions. And we say, could you please give us, you know, the, the kind of the participant list for a couple of the sessions, three or four sessions that are going to occur next week. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we take one and we call up the people who are enrolled. And the first thing we say is, <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, you're going to be going to the ABC course next week. It's a two-day course on, or it's a half-four-day course on, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, uh, first of all, did you know? And it's kind of interesting. <laughs> you get about, you know, 10% that didn't even know. Mm -hmm. Or if they knew, and this now moves to almost like about 20%, they didn't remember exactly when. Right. Okay? And then we say to them, so uh, <clears throat> why are you enrolled in the course? Like, how did you get enrolled? What do you think the number one response is? Well, it's either somebody else did it or I don't know. Uh, well, somebody else did it is, a, is, is one of the ones, <laughs> but the most common is my supervisor. Uh, yeah. Okay? Then there are other things like it was compulsory or um, uh, then you get, you know, the other, all kinds of interesting things like, George did it, and he said it was good. Mm -hmm. I, I'm supposed to do five days of training each year, and it's getting toward the end of the year, so I figured I'd better sign up on something. Or, you know, right. um, I'm retiring next year, and so I'm taking everything I possibly can. You know, that sort of stuff. Right. What we find is at least, at least thirty percent of the people who are assigned, you know, to go to a training session, um, you know, really oughtn't be there. Right. Okay, and um, and not only then are they wasting their own time, but they have an evil influence, not intentionally, but they have an evil influence on the rest of the group that might benefit very much from right. it. Yeah. So we don't do much to prepare them. And, you know, you see, coming back to these education directors and so on and so forth, those are continuing education. There needs to be dialogue and prep beforehand, mm -hmm. not preparing on the content, but rather, you know, Jeff, uh, next Thursday, there's this course on that um, you're going to be attending. And let's talk a bit about what's there, what's in it for you, and uh, what my expectations are prior to your going to class. 
that is the number one influence on how people will act and react within the class. Mm. Then we have to make sure that the course or the class or whatever it is is designed to focus specifically on what people do or are expected to do and we have to design it with lots of practice and feedback within the session and lots of reinforcement on its importance and how it can be used mm-hmm. and build in job aids and tools that they can take back and apply immediately with practice on that. Right. And then when they return again dialogue with the first line manager or supervisor that says okay Jeff you went to the training you know we talked beforehand let's just talk now what will it take for you to begin to apply it rather than you know that thing you went to the last two days ah forget it you know (laughs) which happens frequently oh yeah definitely particularly vulnerable are new new hires Mm -hmm. new people who go through you know anywhere from a few days to as many as 40 days of training only to go on to the job and the lead worker, you know, says, ah, forget all that crap. I'll show you how it works. So all of these mechanisms, you cannot expect people to learn and retain if there aren't these mechanisms in place, what I call the control mechanisms. Right. Well, so, and where you kind so of. Coming back to the learner, the learner has the responsibility, but they need to understand what that responsibility right. is. They've got to see value. If there is no value, forget it. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of times the value is not articulated, and 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 people aren't necessarily, as you're implying, you know, prepared well enough to take advantage of that value. Um, so it's certainly, a lot more of that could be done. Now, I, I'm wondering, um, we've we've you know just talked about uh, subject matter experts and 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 learners, and you know trying to facilitate uh, better learning experiences. We're coming to the end of our time, and you know one thing I always like to ask people on the show is about their own learning experiences and about their own kind of lifelong learning practices and you know what they do consistently what's effective for them so particularly from somebody like yourself you know who's so immersed in how does effective learning uh, really take place what what are your own lifelong learning practices okay number one um i listen really carefully when i go to a session Mm -hmm. so i'm talking about saturday i took number of pages of notes but the notes weren't only on the content. Hmm. A note to myself on what I'm to do as a follow-up or how I can use it or what I need to discuss with Erica or other people. So that's a helpful thing. In other words, personalizing my notes. Right. That's one thing I do. The other is, if I have the opportunity, I talk to my fellow, you know, at the breaks or at lunch, talk to my fellow participants on, so what is it that you got out of this? And often they say, not much. But if they did, what is it and how will you use it? Because that gives me ideas. Um, another that I I, I, I love, and, and I'm going to share a quick experience with you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is Erica and I then sit down and go back over things and say, mm. because we often take courses together, we sit together and we say, okay, so what did you notice? What was important to you? And so on. That dialogue, creating a job aid or tool for myself based on what's being said, 
In other words, I actively engage right. in how I'm going to apply it, even though they don't always come across. Right. So these are some of the things, okay? Try to get you to use it as quickly as possible. Uh, note a benefit for myself. Anything that I can do that personalizes it. Right. Uh, yeah, those are such great practices. Those, those are things I, I try to do myself and probably don't do as consistently as, as, I, as I could or should, but um, uh, something for, I think, every um, avid learner to, to aspire to. Yeah, but if you get, you know, you get killed right at the beginning and you go, oh, mm-hmm. my God, this is going to be another day of data dumping, <clears throat> you know, then and I can see no application or I don't know how I would apply it or I can't, I can't, I don't see myself being able to apply it. You know, then forget it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a transaction. Try to have a one way conversation, Jeff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> conversation requires fifty fifty. Right. The learner and the instructor, and the instructor has to encourage the people to come out with these things, give them guidance, and say, "Okay, we're going to go over this, but what you need to do as a note, like to yourselves, is." And how am I personally going to apply it? Right. Right. Well, I hope that the uh, folks who are listening are going to take some of that advice and do just what you said, take some notes, figure out some ways that they're going to apply some of this and what they're actually going to do in, in their own learning and also you know, working with their subject matter experts, uh, helping to uh, guide their, their own learners. I think there's plenty to take away here that uh, could be really, really useful to folks. So as we're actually wrapping up, um, though, um, can you tell listeners where they can best find and, and connect with you and, you know, benefit from the work you're doing? Well, obviously, you know, the, the I would recommend the, the telling aim training, not because, you know, we want to get 75 cents uh, royalties, right. you know, but rather it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how many people from all over the world have written us and said, hey, this was a real eye open, you know, or right. gave me so many good ideas. Yeah, I'm not trying to brag about it or anything. It was, you know, I wish I could even claim originality. It's just basically we have looked at what works over time. Right. I've been doing this for over 50 years. Uh, you know, that, that, that would be a starting place. And then there's a companion. The, um, the book, which is called Beyond Telling Aim Training, which would help an organization, a team, and a team leader to be able to actually make it work within their organization. There's lots of tools and guidelines and book to make it work and how to support your people. I would start with those. They can go to our website, which is basically hsa-lps.com. And also, hsa-lps.com, they can go there, and there's lots of stuff there. Or they can contact me directly, um, and it's best to go through my assistant, because I travel a lot, mm-hmm. and it's info at hsa-lps.com. Right. You know? Easy enough. Uh, I think those would be the best ways to do it. I'm very happy to chat with people. I don't charge for it. You know, our rule is if it's less than an hour, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, after that, unfortunately, we do have to charge. Sure, sure. But, um, yeah, and, and you probably they should know that, for example, all our books are translated into other languages. We're doing a lot of work in China. And, mm. um, all of our books are in Mandarin, you know, Chinese and Mandarin. And um, 
And I just want to leave, you know, I said that something a little interesting and surprising, and that's when I work in China and I do my sessions there, um, and, you know, I'll have about 60 people in a workshop for three days. But what's interesting is we go from about eight to five. And then at five, when I'm finished, the people don't leave. <laughs> they stay in, in their groups, you know, about uh, somewhere between six to ten people in a group. And they go over what, and they go around, what is it that you learned today? What was important to you? And they share that and how they'll apply it in the workplace and spend at least another hour after I'm done. Wow. You know, and they do it spontaneously. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they're doing some of what you were just talking about in terms of, you know, good good learning practices. That's great. Yeah, but they come there. It's, you know, for them and their organizations, it's a fairly big expense because they have to travel and so on. And then in addition to that, they're eager to move ahead. So it's just something that, you know, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. I wish we could build it in here. <laughs> well, that is great. Well, Harold, thanks so much for taking the, the time to, to talk to me a, a, again. Um, and, uh, you know, looking forward to, I, I always go back and, and revisit telling a training on a, on a regular basis. Uh, it's on my, my list to, to do that again. And I, I certainly would encourage anybody who's listening to, if you have not read that book or have not looked at it lately, definitely look at it uh, and, and absorb all of its lessons. So, Harold, thanks again for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. It's been an honor and a privilege to share. So that wraps up this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. Uh, as a reminder, we encourage you to find out more about learning technology design, that event that's coming up in May. You can find out more about that at ltd.leadinglearning.com. And I want to again thank Com Partners, makers of the Elevate Learning Platform for being a sponsor. And you can find out more about their products and services at compartners.com. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 26. And while you're there, we'd, uh, you'll see various options for how to subscribe to the podcast. If you're getting value out of it, we would certainly be truly grateful if you would subscribe. And we'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. And to do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate it. It, uh, does make a difference as other people are trying to find the podcast and it is meaningful to us and finally consider telling others about the podcast you can send out a tweet just by going to leadinglearning.com forward slash share uh, or if tweeting isn't your thing you can go to any social network and just put in the the words that describe the value that you are getting out of the leading learning podcast and send that out to your vast global network Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.